I realized um, I have, um, I, I want to be fair to all those who, some of you in this room, struggle with legitimate anxiety. And so I want to share, though, I have a little bit every single Saturday night or Sunday morning about what to wear. I know that's the weirdest thing, and most of you are like, well, that's what ladies do. Yeah, but you don't talk in front of people every week. It will remind you if you wore the same thing last week. Um, so this is the first time ever I've bought a shirt for a Sunday in particular. Um, if you can't read it from where you are in the back, one, you need new glasses. But two, um, it just says it's okay. To, let me make sure I read it right. It's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. Um, wear it intentionally today. Because the reality is, for many of us, we don't recognize the need for that. We feel like we're less than in terms of faith if we just don't have it figured out, if we're not okay. And so I have a couple questions as we kind of think about this. Have you ever felt pressure to be something you're not? Have you ever felt pressure to feel like your life, you have to have it all together? And if it isn't all together, you better fake it so at least it looks really good. Have you ever felt like your life is out of control? By the way, I'm going to add this caveat here. Your life is always out of control. Control is a myth, by the way. Have you ever felt like there was something going on inside you that you were scared to death it might come out and others might see it or hear it or know it? See, i got to be honest with you. Like many guys, I bought into a narrative um, for most of my life that was this, that if you're to be tough, it means you don't feel. That's not tough. That's stupid. <laughs> and so I, I want you to know this whole series is around this idea, it's okay to not be okay. Um, and so there's a line I want us to kind of get at the beginning. See, God forgives our sin, but the forgiveness of sin does not mean the absence of struggle. God forgives our sin, but the forgiveness of sin does not mean the absence of struggle. And see, to be clear, mental health issues seem to be on the rise culturally. It's not just my imagination, that's the reality. And so why is that? Well, there's some things that are preventable, and so I'm going to talk about just a couple things that are preventable that we can probably help ourselves with before I talk about some things that that maybe we can't help ourselves with. Um, I don't know if you know this, but because of social media, there's a rise in anxiety that's social media driven. In fact, there's a, a new addiction center opening up in our community and one of the primary purposes of it is like social media addiction it's an actual thing it really does exist in fact um, many of us are struggling in this room maybe to decide did someone like my last post well why did they only like it and not heart it why did that person's post get more likes than mine and I better refresh my feed I better reopen Instagram or Facebook or whatever and see if I got another like and I didn't and so there were no things to click no notifications what's wrong with me in fact what we find is that when what we're finding especially with young people is that when they get notifications it's like this release of dopamine it's like a drug addiction there are chemicals in your body that react to the fact that I got one more like on my post or on my feed. And so it's led to this even addiction to our phones, right? In fact, there's a thing. Some of you, have you ever felt like this, your phone vibrate in your pocket, only it didn't vibrate in your pocket? Be honest, raise your hand. Did you know there's actually a syndrome? It's called the phantom vibration syndrome. It's real. Like, this is stuff that we think is funny, because it's funny, it really is. I mean, I felt too, like, oh, that was my phone. No, it was not my phone, it was just my imagination. That's worse, right? 
So in fact, our phones are owning us. So there's this website, um, Dr. Scouts. It's a web-based platform that does research. And so they did research. Um, Out of 100,000 participants, they picked 94 random Android users. I want to say it's because they're Android, not iPhone users maybe. I don't know. But here were the results. And this was depressing when I got the results. Um, You can go look this up yourself if you want. But but they were trying to figure out how often a person interacts with their phone per day. So these were interactions, these were touches. I don't know necessarily if that meant just like you moved it from one spot to another, but they were touches. The average smartphone user in one day touched their phone 2,617 times. That's the average user. Heavy users touch their phones 5,427 times a day. That is not an encouraging trend. All that to say, these next few weeks we're going to talk about, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay if you don't feel like you have your whole life figured out. It's okay that, that you may not recognize. In fact, what we'll find for many of us, it's for some of you in this room today, just getting here today was, was an accomplishment. In fact, some people will listen online and they'll go, I couldn't even get there. And that's an accomplishment just to listen. Sometimes life's hard. Sometimes we don't know what to do next. Sometimes we find ourselves just... In weird places. In fact, I have um, been doing lots of research on mental health these last several weeks as we began to prepare for this series. And I want to be honest with you, I'm not an expert on everything in this series. That's why I'm not preaching every week of it. Because I thought it would be more important to bring someone in who probably was for some aspects of this conversation. Uh, and I do want you to know today that for some of you in this room, um, especially when we talk about mental health or maybe even depression, often depression is a chemical imbalance. It's not a faith issue. Too often in the church we talk about faith issues when it comes to mental health. That's bad. Don't do it. And so um, I want to hear from others because the reality is, like, I, I'm just not that smart when it comes to mental health. I don't have enough answers for you. You don't want to hear from me and all those things, but there are some things I think we can talk about. And so next week we're talking about suicide. Because it's an issue that affects many of us in some way, shape, or form. And maybe you've wrestled with suicidal thoughts, or maybe you've had to get counseling because of that. Like that's, I want you to know, like we don't hope you do that, but we recognize the reality of that. And so we want to have someone here to talk about that. And so there's a class where you can help look out and be on the lookout for others so that they know that they're not alone. The week after that, Kyle Thompson from Beacon of Hope is going to come and share about this counseling service that's free in our community. Our church helps support it, so your tithe dollars help support this counseling center because they offer free counseling in our community along, along the West Michigan, like from Grand Rapids all the way over. And so we think it's a great ministry. We want to be a part of it. And um, so it's something you can even take advantage of and some of you even have. And then the week after that, we're kind of going to compile this series together, and then we're also going to share, one of ours is going to tell a story about their own life, and so we'll make that a part of it that day. But, but here's what I want to say. Um, this series is also centered around this idea that God is near. God is with us. He's with us in the great times and in our moments of despair. It's not absent in the midst of us. So it leaves us, though, asking some serious questions. If that's true, if God is with us, then we have some legitimate questions. How do I hang on to God when it's not okay? How do I love other people when it's not okay? What do I do when I'm filled with disappointment, confusion, anger, or fear? And how do I keep going when it's not okay? See, these questions don't have simple answers. Can't just say, open your Bible and believe in Jesus. 
probably not going to help you, honestly. At some level, that's not the answer you need. And sometimes we'll say things that really are not helpful. Like maybe you've heard someone say, well, it's just all in your head. Of course it's all in their head. That's why it's called mental health. Right? Like that's not helpful. It's always in your head. That's the reality. We can't get out of our own head sometimes. That's part of the problem. And so it's okay to know Jesus and need a therapist too. So the Bible is full of real stories of real people who wrestled with real issues. Many of them what we categorize today as mental health. And in fact, what we find over and over again is that, that they could wrestle with God. They could argue with God and he welcomed it. He wasn't scared of their anger or their hurt or their pain. We're going to talk some more about that as we look at Psalm 13 in just a few minutes. But, but here's one area that I think I want to just spend a few minutes talking about in this area of anxiety. Anxiety is something that some of you in this room and many people struggle with and they don't know what to do with. And so I love John Robert tells a story about his own anxiety. And, and he was this youth pastor at this little Baptist church and um, he got up to preach the first time and he passed out. A few weeks later, he got another opportunity to preach, and he got up a second time, and he passed out. And so um, he said, in fact, the church had a little growth spurt, hoping this guy would preach again. <laughs> Come to our church, watch this guy pass out. So here's what he writes about that. I wish it was just because of low blood sugar or some kind of exotic, exotic easily curable disease, <laughs> but it was not. It was just anxiety. It was just nerves. It was just fear. It was a strange thing, but at that time, everybody gave me the same advice. They said, next time you preach, just don't worry. You shouldn't worry. You should just have faith. You should just trust God. It's a weird thing, but when you tell somebody who is worried that they shouldn't worry, it doesn't actually help them a whole lot. It just kind of makes them worry more. See, psychologists use the term anxiety to cover a multitude of things. It, it kind of covers obsessive compulsive disorder, phobias, panic attacks, or panic disorder, or even PTSD. And so some of you who have experienced maybe through traumatic experiences or combat or other kind of things, you bring these things home. And so I want to share the story of Laura Turner. And these are her words, not mine. And so actually, we've got them on the screen because I was told if I'm going to read something, it's really helpful if you can read it with me. Um, so I will try to read at a speed in which you hear well. Laura Turner shares these words about her experience with anxiety. I've come to think of having anxiety as living at the intersection of uncertainty and powerlessness. I feel afraid of what the future holds. I feel unable to do anything about it. It's not just bad change that makes me feel anxious. Just about seven years ago, I got married, and it was one of the best times of my life. I was happy and in love, and I was terrified. I didn't know what this new phase of life held for me. I didn't know what rhythms would unfold, and being at the beginning of such a significant new time made me scared, and that made me feel like there was something wrong with me. Many in this room will know exactly what I'm talking about. There are a lot of you who have struggled with anxiety over the years. And the most important thing I want you to know right now is you are not alone. You're not alone because God is with you. And also, concretely, there are a lot of us. Some of you don't know quite what this is like to be anxious. And I don't understand you. I don't particularly like you either. 
Listen carefully here. Um, Growing up in the church, I felt alone in my anxiety. I knew, quote, do not fear, end quote, was a common commandment in the Bible. But what I didn't know is that anxiety affects about 7 million Americans every year. And this is where Laura Turner is actually wrong. It's more like 40 million Americans. It's 18% of the population. All I knew was that I lived with this constant state of dread, and I got pretty good at hiding it a lot of the time because I learned that anxious wasn't a thing Christians were supposed to be. When I would work up the courage to be vulnerable enough to tell someone I was feeling nervous or feeling worried, I would often get these appeals to Scripture. People would quote to me out of Philippians 4 where we hear, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. I would hear this passage from Matthew 6 where Jesus tells, tells us, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. These are beautiful passages. I'm going to suggest we refrain in a moment. But no, using these words to tell someone who is anxious that they shouldn't worry is a little bit like just saying, get over it. It's not quite how this works. Now, people who shared these scriptures with me were so well-meaning. They wanted me to find comfort. They wanted me to turn to God. But their words often did lasting damage to me. It was a little bit like a greatest hits record of what not to say to someone with anxiety. I felt for a long time like this anxiety was my responsibility to fix. My punishment for not being faithful enough or not praying enough. I felt like if I just prayed enough and believed the right things, I would not be anxious. I would spend hours bargaining with God in my little yellow room in our house in Illinois to take my anxiety away. When he didn't, I came to the conclusion that there was something wrong with me. As I got older, my anxiety hasn't necessarily lessened. In fact, with the bigger changes I've encountered, it's gotten worse at times. I've prayed more often and more fervently that God would take my anxiety away. I couldn't understand why God would let me continue to suffer, and anxiety is a particular form of suffering. The longer I felt like it was my own fault, the longer I suffered alone. We need honesty in this conversation because suffering alone is never God's intention for us. Too often there's a sense in the church that If you believe the right things, pray the right prayers, you will be okay. If you're not okay, it's your fault. On the one hand, there's a lot of truth to the fact that prayer is effective. And we need to put effort into our lives with God and engage in the work he is doing in us. On the other hand, it's not the whole story. The Bible is full of lives of people who did all the right things and ended up hurt and alone. The Bible is full of stories of people who did all the wrong things and ended up in positions of great power. If there's anything you take away from our time together today, I hope it's this. The presence of anxiety does not equal a lack of faith. Being better at being a Christian does not make anxiety go away. I want to be clear today. Um, I do believe God hears and answers prayer. I do believe some people are radically healed from things like anxiety or depression, but I want to also be very clear, that's the exception, not the norm. It's not a marker of God's love that you don't overcome something you've struggled with. I mean, in fact, I don't, 
I don't know why some people are healed from certain things and other people aren't. I don't. Doesn't mean I think you should pray less for God to do a work in your life. It's not that at all. But I know we're not alone in that. I read the words of Paul, and he argued in 2 Corinthians that he had this thorn in his flesh, and he begged God and begged God and begged God to take it away, and God didn't. He reminded him, like, I'm, I'm made perfect in your weakness. Like, I'm with you, but that thorn in your side, whatever Paul's was, it's going to stay. God was with Esther in the court when she went to the king, and she was scared to death. God was with Job, and we'll probably talk about Job in a few weeks, when he said, like, I wish, I cursed the day I was born and the day I was conceived. I just wish I didn't exist. God was still with Job in the middle of all those things. And so this quote by Laura I thought was good. What if God can use my anxiety, is using my anxiety, as a way to tether me more closely to him? What if I don't have to fix myself? There's a book called It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And in it, the author talks about all the do not be afraid passages in the Bible. And unlike some of the other commandments like do not murder and do not steal, that often if you were to think about the do not be afraid in these ways, it might be helpful. It's where God's people needed encouragement and to know his affirmation and his presence was real. And so in other words, to say it this way, do not fear is equivalent to the words, I am here. Do not be afraid. Why do you not have to be afraid? Because I am here. Do not fear. Why? Because I am here. What God wants us to know is in those greatest moments of despair, in those moments where we don't know what to do, where we're crying out and broken and hurting and suffering, that he is still near to us. And maybe for some of us, we just need some encouragement that you know you're not alone today. That God is with us in our fear and in our anxiety. And when we struggle in the middle of that desperation that God's wanting us to hear again. Like, don't, not, don't be anxious. But that I'm present. I'm with you. You're not alone. So maybe this quote's helpful. It isn't that we can't be anxious. It's that God isn't anxious. It isn't that we can't be anxious, it's that God isn't anxious. That's why psychologists use the phrase non-anxious presence. God is the ultimate non-anxious presence. You know those people you're around and they just have this calming influence and because just their demeanor, there's something about them that draws you in and you're like, oh, I can rest when I'm with them. I can be me when I'm with them. I don't feel like I have to put on this facade or this front. I can just rest. What God says to us is, listen, I am that non-anxious person. I am that presence. You can just rest in me. I can take all your junk and I'm good with it. And so what we find all throughout the Bible is people lament. And so Oxford Dictionary defines lamenting as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. You're like, well, the Bible has laments. I mean, there is a book called Lamentations. But beyond that, the Psalms that we often reference, like I know this is going to mess some of you up in terms of how we view the Bible, but um, the Psalms are just people like you and I writing stuff, by the way. There's their prayers and their songs, and like if I took the words from the songs we sing today and I put them in the Bible, that's what the Psalms are. They're not necessarily the best theology of, of who God is and the character and nature of God. They're our, our excitement, our joy, and our sorrow, and they're just recorded. 
In fact, 30 to 70%, depending on who you talk to, 30 to 70% of the Psalms are songs and Psalms of lament, of anger, of frustration, of deep sorrow, of sadness. In fact, what we find, um, I love this quote from Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life. He says this, There is no such thing as a lament-free life. To love is to lament. To let your heart be broken by something. If you don't lament over the broken things in your world, then your heart shuts down. Your living, vital relationship with God dies a slow death because you open the door to unseen doubt and become quietly cynical. Cynicism moves you away from God. Lament pushes you into his presence. So oddly enough, not lamenting leads to unbelief. Reality wins and hope dies. Put another way, the reality of a broken world triumphs over the new reality of a redeemed world. You miss resurrection and get stuck in death. One of the passages that many of us reference a lot, right? Especially at funeral, Psalm 23. Um, Psalm 23 is a lament psalm, by the way. I mean, there's some pretty cool things in it. You know, things like green pastures and still waters, and I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But did you catch the middle part about really dark places? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear. So I won't be afraid. Why? I mean, because you're with me, but it doesn't mean it's about your presence. Shadow of death is not a place we want to hang out. It's kind of scary. Some of you have hung out there. Um, in fact, the psalm we're going to look at today, Psalm 13, is one that we don't, we don't usually sing at weddings or read at weddings or baptisms because it's pretty depressing, actually. Um, but here's what the psalmist writes in Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I'll sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Did you catch the beginning of that? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? I have sorrow in my heart. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. God, where are you? Why is it when I cry out you don't listen? Why is it when I cry out you're not not near? Why is it when I yell and scream in pain you don't respond? Where are you? See, when we get to look at things like this, we begin to see anguish and faith can coexist. Psalm 13 is trying to let us know. The psalmist cries out and longs for something better. 
It's a place where their heart and life is broken. It's why um, we don't know how the relationship's going to turn out. The psalmist doesn't know what's going to come, but they then make this decision. And this is where the faith part comes in. They don't know the outcome. They don't know if they're never going to hear from God. They believe in the goodness of God and God's existence, but they don't know if they're ever going to hear or their heart's ever going to change. And so uh, Psalm 13 is what poets call a volta or a turn in tone at the end of this text. See, the psalmist has been angry and railing against God, but then he says these words, But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In other words, or another translation we read, because he's been good to me. God, in the middle of all the brokenness, I know you're good. In the middle of my pain, I believe you're good. And I don't know why I'm crying out in pain and I don't know why I struggle with anxiety or depression or I don't know why I feel like my heart's going to explode in me or what I just if people knew the real me they wouldn't love me I, I don't know why I struggle with this image of who I am but I'm choosing to trust you in the middle of that see God desperately wants us to experience his goodness and here's what I want to say for some of us in this room experiencing God's goodness understanding his answer to our prayer may even include medication I know that catches some of you off guard. We'll just have more faith. Now, that's not what I'm here to tell you today. Because Laura's story illustrates too often we've told people, just have more faith. I mean, I want you to have more faith. I, I, I desperately believe that if you'll just spend more time with God and you'll wrestle with him, you'll find his presence more real in your life. But that doesn't mean your depression or anxiety will necessarily go away. Your faith will grow. Your love for him will grow. Your acceptance of his love for you will increase. But it doesn't mean those other things will necessarily be absent. I love these words by Lewis Smedes in his book, My God and I. He writes this. God also comes to me each morning and offers me a 20 milligram capsule of Prozac. With this medication, he clears the garbage that accumulates in the canals of my brain overnight and gives me a chance to get a fresh morning start. I swallow every capsule with gratitude to God. If you struggle with anxiety today, no, you're not alone. If you don't struggle with anxiety, I want to just say two things to you. Um, one, you don't need to fix it for somebody. You can't. And don't try. It's not helpful. The best thing you can do is not tell them to read their Bible more or to journal more. I mean, like, we should all do those things more. Those are good. But that's not going to solve their issue. What will be helpful is to empathize with them and to be present with them and be someone that can be a non-anxious presence who offers love and acceptance and hope to them. When a community faith begins to live like that, then lives really are changed, and we really are welcoming people, and there really is hope, and there really is faith, and we empathize. That really is the very core of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Hey, let me tell you about the one who loves you so much. Hey, let me tell you about the one who loves you in, the, in spite of you. Right? We hope our marriages, sometimes if we're married, we hope our marriages look like that, that they love us in spite of us at times. But not that, that doesn't even always happen. But here's a God who says, in spite of you at your worst, I still love you as my child. Lean into me. Know my heart. Know my love. And so God is redeeming us in our specific circumstances. And so um, the poet Christian Wyman writes these words, and I think they're helpful for us because um, some of us, one of the things we have anxiety about is change in general, but here is what he says about faith in God. Faith in God is finally faith in change. For all of us in the room, 
there is one constant in your life, and it is change. It will not stop, and you cannot make it. You cannot like it, fine, but it will continue to happen. So faith in God is finally faith in change. In other words, in the changes of my life come, God is faithful and God is present with me. I may not know what's going to happen next, but I don't have to because I know him. And so God's redeeming our story. And so maybe, maybe today if you struggle with anxiety or depression, or you feel like there's something in you that, that you just don't want to do with, maybe what you'll find is in this that you'll lean into God more and he'll be more present with you. doesn't mean it will necessarily go away, but you'll find he is more present and you'll feel his love in deeper ways. It's why we encourage everybody to join a connect group because we think that life is better in a community than our own. Isolation's hard. Living alone and holding in all our things doesn't get us to the place we want to